Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of the Comedy Bureau Field Report. The Comedy Bureau Field Report is a member of the Believe podcast family. That's about B-L-E-A-V. And that's why on your favorite podcast platform, it'll read Believe in the Comedy Bureau Field Report. And you know, if that sort of silliness gets you by today, sure, enjoy it. You know, I didn't pick the name like that. It was just supposed to be the Comedy Bureau Field Report um, or TCB Field Report. Nothing with believing. Um, Anyways, (laughs) we'll see if they give me an ad in a couple months. Um, On to this week's great guests uh, coming all the way across the great Pacific. uh, Very, very funny comedian who's making headway in the States. Please get up for Australia's own Simon Taylor, everybody. Hey, we're in the, we're actually in the field. We're in the field. How great is that? It is a field report. Yeah, we're in the, it's a field report and uh, as a comedy field report, we're in Silver Lake. (laughs) The field of Silver Lake. And uh, do I keep thinking, are we going to walk these people? (laughs) Right. (laughs) There's like people here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've, I've walked a crowd bigger than that. (laughs) Oh, yeah? Do tell, Simon. Oh, no, I don't think, I don't think I've, uh, I think it was that was a long time ago at like Adelaide Fringe Festival. Okay, how how long were you w- into comedy? Oh, maybe two years. Oh, okay. Yeah, I walked. They were all like, because it was a show about like masculinity, right? Oh, okay. But all it was was dick jokes. You sure. know what I mean? Like it uh-huh. was under the guise of like this is a really right. serious topic, and it was just uh, you know right. And uh, yeah, there was just like a group of women. Probably in their forties, who just like after the first five minutes were like, "Yeah, and we're gone." <laughs> so <laughs> it was probably like a group of six. Right, right, right. Yeah. Were Were you telling all the dick jokes? Yeah, that was me. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh yeah. Oh, we got a fire. We got maybe or a cat in a tree. A cat in a tree. It's yeah. still. I mean, I think what that's happens a- when you're in the comedy trenches? You're in the real world. Oh sure. Mm. I mean, that that the charm and intimacy of an outdoor show that's often right. has to deal with. Helicopters and fire trucks and whatnot. And little dogs. There's a there's a dachshund. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. There's a dachshund walking by. Now, listen. I'm going to do my best to concentrate for this podcast. But if a cute dog goes by, Jake, I'm sorry, man. No, like, I, get, I get it. <laughs> I'm, a dog, I'm a dog guy. Silver Lake. Is, it, and thus is the lesson to learn, everybody, is dogs versus comedy. Dogs always win. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's that's the same on, like, YouTube and things like that. Like, we'll craft a special right. for years and years and put the reel up, and, right. like, a little dog, you know, in a basket right. is going to crush us every time right. on the I socials. Remember, I remember one of the first outdoor shows I saw here in L.A. Mm. as we were, like, starting to hint at maybe opening up. Mm. Um, Jeff Ross brought his uh, huge German <laughs> Shepherd on stage. <laughs> And, like, he just could not overcome. No, he can't do a show. Yeah, yeah. It was a rookie mistake. Yeah, and it wasn't an aggressive, it wasn't barking. It was just, like, walking around stage, sniffing yeah. people, and people were like, aww. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. What are you, what are you doing, man? I thought sure you were a pro. <laughs> um, do you guys have a bunch of outdoor shows in uh, Australia? Yeah, I think we're kind of back mm-hmm. now. I think since... Since maybe June this year, things have kind of felt normal. Right. Um, but there were some... There weren't that many outdoor shows. I think what happened, at least with Australia, is Melbourne. I was in Melbourne. We were shut down hardcore. Right. Like right. We couldn't... 
leave the house for more than an hour. Right. We uh, Because of New Zealand, did New Zealand set the standard? And you're like, all right, well, we have to follow them. Yeah, a little bit of that. I think, like, from state to state, because there was no, like, our federal government were doing a horrible job at, like, setting any rules, so they left <laughs> it to the states. So sure. each state kind of did their own thing. But because we had such low numbers for so long, mm-hmm. um, and we were doing a good job of keeping it out, we actually had shows pretty much right through the pandemic in in a, in a lot of states. Not Melbourne. Melbourne was like fully shut down. But um, yeah, not a lot of outdoor shows. Uh, yeah. I imagine doing outdoor shows in Australia mm. would be dangerous if mm. you go further far enough in the outback. Uh, have I done? No, we're all right. I mean, yeah. I've, I've lived in Australia since I was born. I've never seen a snake. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. it's right. a lie we tell you guys so you don't come and crash our party. I mean, yeah, but di- <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Didn't the Australian government wage war against emus and lose? Yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, there's, I think there's meant to be two movies about that coming out. Yeah, there are. There are two different movies. One with, like, Rob Schneider trying to do one, trying yeah. to... Um, appropriate our history Uh, and then there's some local Australians who uh, they're kind of my buddies in Melbourne they're amazing amazing comics and they're like no we got to do this story we got to do they've actually got a trailer online go check it out Mm -hmm. Um, they uh, what's it called yeah, so I think it's called the Great Emu War, right? Uh, and it's just like it's it's as if it's a trailer for a movie. Oh sure. And they're filming the full movie now, but they oh, filmed awesome. a trailer as kind of like a demo, okay. and it was uh, yeah, it's, it's really really funny. It's almost like a spoof of Saving right. Private Ryan, but right. with emus. Yeah. It is like for those who don't know, it's one of the funnier stories in history. Yeah, that we essentially had a. I, I, I don't even know the details of it. Like, uh, it's not really spoken about other than by Americans who think it's hilarious. Right. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, we try, to, we try to sweep it under the rug in Australia. We right. try to suppress that story. But we essentially just, you know, try to fight a bunch of emus and they took us to task. I right. can't remember when this was. It would have been like... It was after World War One, From what I remember, yeah, uh, based off of an episode of The Dollop. Right. Um... After the First World War, as part of, like, uh, getting servicemen back into the normal way of life, the Australian government gave them some land to grow food. Right. And, like, those crops were unfortunately near where a bunch of emus lived, and they would trample over the crops. And it became such a problem. They're like, all right, we got to, like, we got to do something about these emus. Yeah. Or else we can't grow food, and then the soldiers are going to be like, oh, Right. So that's when... They brought out the Aussie military and, and lost. lost. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we didn't have a lot of luck back in those days. Right. We had, like, Gallipoli, we got, we mm. got trashed. Right. Like, that was, uh, that was in Turkey. Mm. Right. Emus got trashed. Right. Like, we, yeah, we don't yeah. have a good uh, yeah. track record. Right. I think but we're better now because we just tack on to the American mm. military. Sure. And we're just like, oh, yeah, we'll help. We'll support you guys. We're almost like a cheer squad. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. that's not fair to the Australian military. <laughs> I think we're, I've done some shows for the Australian military and we're like, I think we get on really well with uh, American right. uh, uh, military because, I don't know, I think Australian troops are really like mm. super friendly and just like no bullshit right and americans love that and yeah, so, yeah yeah so we're better now we right. could take we could take a few emus now i think yeah, i bet i bet 
A few. I, I bet. Um, but, like, so Melbourne was locked down, uh-huh. and there were shows happening elsewhere. Yeah, like I flew to Darwin. See, it I, seems I like a lot to... like America, where Texas and Florida just yeah. didn't acknowledge yeah, COVID. Yeah, you can kind of get there, yeah. yeah. Well, I think for our states, they acknowledged it, but they were so good at regulating who came in. Like, So we had like this massive show in the Northern Territory in Darwin. In 2020? And, and Yeah, it would have been 2020, early 2020. And a whole bunch of comedians flew over to do it right oh this must have been january february because you guys are closer to china right yeah yeah yeah. and so we flew over and everything was a lot of our states were locked down Mm -hmm. and when we got there uh, they were asking us about hot spots we've been to they're like have you been to any of these places because this is where covid's you know a hot spot and every comedian was like no i haven't been to any of those haven't been to any of those but then they checked uh, one comedian had his bank account checked, uh-huh. and they go, "Hold on, you've got a transaction here at a cafe in this uh-huh. in this suburb. Right, you were in a hot spot, and he got in trouble, and he got sent home. Mm-hmm. So, like they they did a pretty decent job of keeping any potential risk out. So we did these shows with like heavy regulations, and that happened with Adelaide Fringe Festival, which is sort of our one of our big festivals. There's, there's Edinburgh Fringe, and then Adelaide is probably the second biggest in the world. Right. And, uh, yeah, they just they had this situation where they had a bunch of Melbourne comedians, because Melbourne got locked down again, where they, I think they drove them over in a specific bus, and they had a specific house dedicated to just the Melbourne comedians. Then they created green rooms, like a separate little area, green rooms just for Melbourne comedians, and they have to wear a mask the whole time, get on stage, take their mask off, do the show, mask back on, back in their special holding pen and in the, the COVID house. So they were pretty hardcore about it. I think that's the closest any comedian will get to having understanding what the Olympic Village is like. Right, totally. Because, I mean, you, none of them are going to be Olympians. but Right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah what is the comedy... Olympics. Montreal, maybe? JFL, I mean... JFL in Montreal? I mean, in... on paper, maybe, but I don't even know if that... Right. Like, it, like... What's a gold medal there, wh- probably? What's a gold medal? I mean... I don't. I think it'd be splintered over a bunch of different things. Like technically, right. like at least in the states, mm. the highest award for comedy is the Mark Twain Prize for Humor. Right, and that's kind of like a towards the end of the career type thing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. But we don't even have like, you know, there's like Best in Show at Edinburgh Fringe, and I'm sure at Adelaide and yeah. Melbourne they have the same. But definitely in art, like it all feels like because it's so subjective. Right. You, it, it's. It's partly merit and it's partly hustle and partly who you're connected with and partly who your your managers know and your manager, you know, is friends with the festival director and they all, right. like, okay, I'm not going to mention the festival and I'm not going to mention who was involved, but there was a festival where the no- nominees for, like, the, the most outstanding or the best whatever, the best act, were all from this one venue where the booker of this venue 
used to work for the festival. You know what I mean? So it's right. just like it's cronyism yeah, yeah. a lot of the time. So right. particularly these, you know, a lot of these awards are like, oh, yeah, these people have access to the awards and right. their friends right. work at this place. And so, right. yeah, you can't put too much, uh, you know, credibility on these things. Like, it's nice. It's definitely like an industry thing. Like, right. I think the people who get, you know, Oscars and Emmys and things like that. Right. It's a system for getting more work. Right, right. That's all it is, really. Absolutely. There used to be a thing called the American Comedy Awards that pops in every now and then. Right. But it's so weird. Comedy is splintered so much in the States mm. between, like, live on stage and TV and movies and whatnot. And, and so, probably internet people yeah, as well, right? Yeah. And so in a lot of instances, it's considered like a redheaded stepchild. And then another, in other instances, I don't know if the name Wes Anderson is tacked onto it. Right. It's like, oh, it's prestige now. Yeah, totally. Or it's a dramedy. So na- yeah. now it can be award-worthy. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. No, that that's true. What, like, I don't think a comedy's ever won an Oscar, right? Uh, like, for Best Picture? I don't think so. Yeah, no, I don't think that's May- ever maybe happened. Maybe, like, in the 70s once. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I, I wonder, but yeah, it's so interesting. It doesn't seem like a, mm. uh, yeah, a prestigious thing. It's so. It, do you think there's prestige? I guess there is. Right, there's prestige within comedy. There are people who are like, oh, you got on that show, so now you're prestigious. But there are YouTubers who get way more views and ticket sales than you. Absolutely. Right? So I mean, it's so get, funny that distinction because that get, definitely happens everywhere. Yeah, getting your name on the comedy store wall—that's like a big deal. Yeah, but to then some again, people. <laughs> yeah, but that's—I mean, that's. But it doesn't sell tickets. It doesn't sell tickets. I mean, right. you know, I, that's I guess the real gold medal under capitalism, if you want to mm. look at it that way. Yeah, but like, I mean, it's always fascinating. People like Gad MLA. He was like huge in France, right? And then he like wanted to make it here. Like you're fine. Like he didn't have anything to worry about, right? Just being a stand up and an actor in France. Mm. But he's like, I gotta learn my act in English. Yeah, I gotta come here. Yeah, do you though? Yeah, yeah. I think. Well, I think that engine that mm-hmm. drives a lot of comedians or uh, even like everyone, like business people, a lot of people have this engine in their head. They're like. I got to do the next thing. I got to do the next thing. So the engine that gets them to that 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 height in France doesn't turn off once you have a certain amount of money. I've always I've always asked that to like comedians in Australia who were definitely like the biggest com- comics ever in in the country, like sell the most tickets whatever, and they're like, "Oh man, it's not good enough. I I need to get this other special. Oh, I need to I only work for three networks. I want to work for another network. I've right. never worked there." And I'm like, "What's the number? What is the exact amount of money? What is the exact amount of like fame? How many mm-hmm. people have to right. follow you on socials until right. you're like, "I'm good." Right. And the answer is there is no there is none. N- yeah, there's no yeah. number. It's um it's it's just unrelenting standards, right. and so that you know the French dude, it's it's it'd be the same. You know, I think that engine can be a problem. It's not yeah. inherently problematic, but you look at somebody like Kevin Hart, right? I mean, how many YouTube shows does that dude have? He's yeah. got a million. Like, does he need to be on YouTube? No. And he's got a serious FM show and right? a production company and a production and, company and doing stand up and like, and so and movies, a, big yeah, movies, big and, movies, and yeah. 
And then he has to deal. I mean, he's a, like an A-list celebrity. He has that yeah. part of his life that he is very visible and he has to deal with, yeah. especially because he keeps getting in hot water. Right. Well, when you have that much exposure, right, you got that much heat on you. But I mean, there there is something to be said with like you can court it. Right. So like Shirley's Theron, for instance. Right. More famous than Kevin. Sure. You don't ever hear her name in the tabloids. Right. Because she lives a quiet life. And she yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, she's also probably not saying things as... Mm-hmm. She's not putting herself in forums where she's just riffing. You know right. what I mean? Right. Like, if, she, if she's she got a movie to promote, she'll go promote the movie. Yeah. And she'll probably speak on the movie and right. won't... And, and also, like, people probably won't ask her those things. But I think part of, part mm-hmm. of like, a comedian's brand, right. particularly on podcasts and... Mm-hmm. Even on Kevin's shows, a lot of them are interview shows, like right. that sports interview show right, he does right. in the ice ice buckets yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Like they are just they are just riffing and talking, and right. so he is saying lots of things a lot of the time. Right, and so of course he's gonna blow up for those things. So if Charlie started doing podcasts, I bet you she she you know she get into some hot water. Yeah, but uh, you're right. Yeah, you if can if you choose to go. No, I'm going to do press junkets and I'm going to only talk about the films. Right. and whatever. But Kevin's usually getting in trouble getting in trouble for things he what tweets or for right. You know, well, affairs. personal life, yeah, affairs, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, and, I mean. That's the double-edged sword of social media. While you can reach a bunch of people, like, you know, hmm. the bigger you get, some people are just inevitably uh, inevitably going to come out of the world to come at you. You sure. don't have to engage those people. No, that's true. And some, yeah, it is a tricky mm-hmm. tricky thing. It is a sort of a pitfall of, like, when you, you know, when you social media is a big one. You right. get, like, a hundred positive comments. Right. And the one, mm-hmm. like, negative thing is the one you want to address. Right. And you have to learn to go, no, 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 I can't give energy to that person. Because right. if you give energy to them, then that'll right. perpetuate. So you kind of yeah. got to just right. remind yourself, hey, gi- I'm going to give energy to the right. people who are positive to me. So, right. you know. You ever have this feeling that where, like, you do a set, it's pretty good. Mm. And then you're like, you're like focusing on two or things two or three things that you either forgot or you like slipped up on right. and then one person comes up to you and says like great set man and then another person and th- and like it takes maybe four or five people to say great job good hmm. set for you to be like okay that was good yeah i i don't even trust the audience you know <laughs> what i mean because i know better than them right what i'm capable of sure so, totally like you can, I can walk away from a show and go, great, they had a good time, mm-hmm. awesome. But mm-hmm. I definitely messed the thing up here and right. I could have done that cleaner and I wasn't present in the mm-hmm. moment. So right. I had one of those shows the right. other day, like a show where I didn't enjoy it. Sure. I was not in it. I wasn't having fun. Uh, but the crowd walked out having, you know, got their money's worth, had a sure. good show. They had a good night. Right. It was worth the price of the ticket and, you know, worth coming out. Right. But in terms of, like, if they didn't get to see me, you know, on fire when I was like, oh, I was in the moment. Right. I was riffing things. I, I, you know, there were, there were moments that were unique to that show. Right. It was almost like, all right, mm-hmm. I'm in autopilot. Right. I'm going to say the words that I know <laughs> sure. in the right order. Yeah. You're going to get the laugh, but, you yeah. know, I'm not there. So there are definitely, like, times where my experience and the audience's experience is, is separate, for right. sure. 
It sounds like you have a bit of that engine, a little bit. I definitely have that engine. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, trying to calm it down because I notice mm-hmm. those, you know, comics that I always looked up to, like, oh, these guys have made it, right? And then you hang out with them mm-hmm. now, and they're, you know, they've have they have made it for ten, fifteen, twenty years, right? And they're still dissatisfied. And I'm like, I can't be that guy. No, I've got to find some zen, right? right? But. As, as much as I say that, like, before I did Fallon, right, right. I, I was talking to, uh, my management was talking to Fallon's bookers for, like, six months before I actually got on. And in right. that six months, I was, right. like, trying to be zen about it. Like, it, you don't need to do it. You, you, you know, you're a good comic. You don't need that validation. It's okay. You're a human being, right? It's fine. Just you should be happy with life. Right. And as soon as I got it, I was like... I did need it. I did need that validation. Mm-hmm. Sure. I wasn't happy with life. Right. So as much as you try to convince yourself, like, it's okay, you can turn the engine off, it's fine. It's mm-hmm. You can just idle and, right. and be happy with life and find your happiness. Right. But then you do get that thing, and you're like, yeah, I really, I am motivated. I am, I oh. really want, you know. Because even after doing Fallon, the first thing I thought of was like, how do I get on again? Mm-hmm. I, I, I hadn't even left the building. I was yeah. still in Rockefeller Center going, right. right, well, I hope I can get on next year. The, yeah, writing out your set list for your next year. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Oh, it gets worse than that. There are pe- yeah. I, w- I would venture to, to guess that over the last probably, I'll be conservative, last five years, everybody right. who's on SNL mm. just talk mad shit before they got it. Right. Like this show sucks. It's out of out of date. Mm. It's so formulaic. Right. And then they got the call, and Lauren's like, "All right, you got the show." Yeah. And they're like, "Yes." Yeah. Yes! Totally. Yeah. Totally. I mean, it, that certainly happens in in whatever's convenient for people at the time, and whatever. Right. I guess get some credibility. Like there was that great controversy with uh, this is sort of a sidestep from comedy, but. Um, my favorite murder. Do you oh, know? Sure, yeah. Do you know all about that? Like they were all like, "Yeah, fuck the man and anti-capitalism and you know, s- screw the patriarchy." And sure. then mm-hmm. they got to deal with Amazon. They're like, "Oh, 100 percent, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll do that." And their fan base got upset, but they never addressed it. As right. far as I know, they haven't addressed it um, because it was like, you know, how, like how much would you, you know, s- sell out for? And and sure. it's a term that maybe millennials don't use sell out. As much anymore because it's like, yeah, it's okay. Like we kind of got to make a living. Like it's harder for us. I think maybe back in the right, you know, nineties, sellout was kind of used a bit more. Right. Uh, But they were like, you know, oh, here's I don't know what the deal was, ten million dollars each, and they're like, yeah, that'll do it. That's fine. Yeah, I'll happily jump on Amazon. And 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 I'm not against creative people getting up getting right. on platforms like right, right. Amazon and things like that. I think it was just so anti their brand. Sure. They set this brand up of like we are against people like Bezos and patriarchy right, and the right. systems that exist. Right. But if I can, you know, if I can win in that system, right. well sure, then yeah, I'll yeah. play it. That's why black and white thinking doesn't work. Of course. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's why it has to be nuanced. And like, unfortunately, the ways that yeah. the things that are set up. Yeah. Uh, if I, I want, I want to sound really highfalutin. All the power structures that exist systemically. Yeah. Um, make it so that like mm. you can't just burn everything down if you want real sustainable change. Yeah, totally. I think you, if you can bring your own values and try to maintain your own values, 
to, to as much as you can within the system. Right. And you go, all right, I can only have my values to this, you know, to this right. point under right. this structure. Right. And if I can change the structure over time, it takes right. a long time. Right. But uh, I would say on the flip side, so my favorite murder, they yeah. have gone from being like a fledgling podcast at a defunct podcast network to having their own podcast network right. that employs 60 people. Yeah, right. With like benefits and like, you know, that Karen Kilgariff was able to buy a mansion. Right. Like, you know, I mean, are you really going to shout at there's other problems? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, they, they were still were still in a capitalist society. You still right. got to play that game. Right. Um, and until there's, you know, uh, a better way. I mean, they could have turned it down and just done their own thing, but they're still... They're still in the, the the game of selling a podcast, right. so right. yeah, it's Absolutely. hard to say. I don't know what what I wouldn't do until it's put in front of me, right? Because like I've just filmed a special at the Sydney Opera House. Yeah, is that your gold medal to tie it <laughs> for a comedy? I don't know. I, it's, it's it's a big deal. I guess it's a big deal in terms of like internationally the opera house is recognized right. a lot like it's one of the most recognizable buildings in the I, world i mean how many people have like will anderson's tape there who else uh, uh hannah gatsby yeah a few other comics uh but it's like carnegie hall here in the states it's like very rare yeah i think so it's yeah. rare it's really quite hard f- to get approved by mm-hmm. the opera house because they're very particular about who can film there. Is it run by the government or something? Mm, no. Oh, okay. No, it's not run by the government. I think they've just got a lot of prestige and sure. their, their brand and things like right, that. Right, right. Like, there's rules about, like, if you want to use their branding mm-hmm. on the actual special, you've got to pay extra and sign all sorts of, like, then they have to go through your set. You know right. what I mean? Right. And I think they do to some degree. But uh-huh. So that's filmed now, and right. we actually don't know where we're... We will, we're in conversation with Paramount Plus in right. Australia, but right. these things are these streaming services for some reason are separate. Right. So Paramount Plus in America doesn't even speak to Paramount Plus Australia. It's all right? money, Simon. Yeah, it's, yeah, I know it's money and it's rules, and they create. They think they're keeping money in by going, all right. Well, if we sell these products to this small market and we right. keep it separate, then right. we can we can generate more cash. When in reality, there should just be one centralized thing, right. but. Anyway, they, yeah. they, they do it like that. Um, and so then my management uh, reached out to management here in the States mm-hmm. and saying, hey, why, why don't you sell this? Because if you sell it to America, right. then it's global. And so they're like, great. Well, we might mm-hmm. sell it to Amazon. We might sell it to Netflix. We might sell it to the Prime, uh, not Amazon, uh, Paramount. Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking, oh, do I have a problem with any of those? Right. Because I, I don't. You know, I don't know until the, the deal comes. Mm-hmm. And part of it, too, is just like what's – there's no rules. Mm-hmm. It's just whatever you can get away with in right. terms of mm-hmm. your fan base and what right. scrutiny people put on you. Right. Like I, w- I think you mentioned SNL before, and I was thinking about this because uh, there's new cast members come have mm-hmm. just come in, like a whole bunch. Right, right? four. Four, right. Yeah, yeah. And I was trying to remember the last time, like, um, people came in. And I remember Shane Gillis yep. was hired and then mm. kind of got fired last yeah. minute. Yeah. And and that was because he was 
you know, scrutinized for, I think it was racist comments. Yeah, on a like podcast. That. But I think he was doing a racist character. Sure. I think that's what it was. Right. I don't I, I don't remember the exact clips, but I, right. I thought, all right, fair enough. Like, that's the zeitgeist. That's what the culture at the moment is. Right. You can't say that stuff. But then I remember, like, Melissa uh, Villasenor, yeah. same, same amount of scrutiny for some tweets, she said, for right. racist tweets. And so right. she got a backlash, too. Right. But I was, I was thinking it's so interesting. It's like SNL mm-hmm. backed her up. Right. So with Melissa, they were like, just write it out. We back you up. You still got the job. Right. That'll that'll disappear eventually. But with Shane Gillis, they were like, "No, you're out." It, it's an optics thing because it it Mil- is an optics thing. But it was just like they get. There's no rule set. Yeah. Well, for them, Melissa was their first Latina right like cast member, and they're like, "Well, we can't like just throw her out." Right. Oh, oh, this white guy? Sure. We got plenty of those. (laughs) We got plenty of white guys to go around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that interesting, though, Mm -hmm. that that it was was an optics thing of like, oh, well, she'll be able to get away with it, so we'll back her up. Shane might not be able to get away with it, so we'll ditch him. So I think it's frustrating for people. I know one of your... uh, uh, what you wanted to talk about the Roseanne Barr thing because mm-hmm. Roseanne's back with Fox, right? Right. Oh, well, do you want to get into comedy news? Well, yeah. Like, I think we can, it's a good segue into right, it right. because she was someone who was canceled, essentially. Yeah, during 2016. Right. And yeah. then now she's she's back with a new show. And she, She's going to produce a new comedy special um, right. for Fox News back streaming service. Right. Fox Nation, which, Fox sa- Nation, yeah. which sounds like... A thing that The Daily Show made up to... <laughs> Fox Nation. It does sound like that. It sounds like too American, too like, yeah, America. Yeah, yeah. To well. even exist. But but I, I thought that was interesting is that like people get frustrated with with the cancel culture and things like that is because mm-hmm. there, there doesn't appear to be any rules or consistency. No, there is no consistency. And unfortunately, I feel as though there's just going to be kind of a gray area for a minute. Cause like right. a lot of these issues haven't been brought up and like people are trying to, there's a learning curve with like power dynamics and yeah. understanding all of what this is and how like, you know, are you explicitly complicit? Maybe not, right. but like we're all part of the, this system and you know, you try to do your best and hopefully you show yourself grace as we're all trying to move forward. If that's right. what's happening. Yeah. It's, yeah, but it it does seem uh, that people are justifiably mm-hmm. frustrated with it when, right. so, like, Roseanne Barr will be cancelled for a tweet, right? But then Kimmel did blackface back in the day, right? And right. it's like ah, he got away with it, and right. and really that is the rule in 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 any of this game is whatever you can get away with, right? <laughs> but then again, like. You say cancel, get away with. Mm. I mean, as far as I know, Justin Trudeau hasn't been recalled. Right. You know, and Roseanne Barr, it's not like she's destitute. No, no, I agree. I actually don't think the word cancel really makes sense. Yeah. Because she's fine and Louis fine and it's like they definitely like, you know, their stocks plummet. Right. But, it's almost like but they're not taken off the market. No, it's almost like the Catholic Church covering for pedophile priests. We'll just move them. To we'll, a different parish. We'll move them to a different parish for a little while, <laughs> and uh, it'll be fine. And, yeah, look, there may be 
down the line, our successors have to deal with this, but right. <laughs> but us right now don't have to. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, I do find it interesting that there is no rhyme or reason to it, right? Um, because one, you don't always know exactly what happens, right? You don't always know exactly people's intention. Like mm. I remember Norm Macdonald came out for mm. Roseanne Barr, said she's not racist, she's a sweet lady, and da da da. Right? Maybe. Maybe, maybe he's biased, or ma- right, right. or maybe the context of Twitter is just like we know that mm-hmm. Twitter's the worst place to go between jokes and statements sure. and responses and hot takes. It's right. like really, really hard to right. to put context behind a tweet. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and and also sometimes people just deep down mm-hmm. are uh, maybe a little bit uh-huh. old old fashioned, right? <laughs> Bigger. Bigoted is the word I want to use, but let's say old-fashioned. Oh, I mean, you, and, you and, use bigoted. And, 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 it, and it comes out because right. they've got this channel like that. Right. So, uh, yeah, how do we... Do you think Twitter would be mm. helped if they if you're allowed to change your font? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm kidding because I'm using I'm papyrus. Kidding for, yeah, I think people will <laughs> abuse that. <laughs> yeah, pap- papyrus. Why is papyrus the kidding font? Comic Sans? I feel like Comic, Comic Sans. Sans. Comic Sans, well, because of Papyrus is just a ridiculous yeah. font to begin with, and then there was that SNL sketch that made it ridicu- even I more ridiculous. The Avatar one? Yeah, yeah. God, that was so brilliant. <laughs> that was a tweet first. Mm-hmm. That dude tweeted that, right. and then he started writing for SNL, and it became a sketch with Ryan Gosling. It was yeah. just like, that to me is like an amazing like comedy writer success story. Right, right, right. That you have this, you have an idea, mm-hmm. and you go, where do I put this idea? Is this a t-shirt? Right. Is this a tweet? Is this right. stand-up? Is this whatever? And this guy tweeted this idea out, and eventually, when he got to write for SNL, he's like, "No, no, no! This is this is a sketch. Right. This is like a yeah. notebook-worthy, <laughs> you know, parody." And right. it's uh, right. yeah, that's probably one of my favorite like <laughs> rags to riches for the comedy writer. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and the last of uh, there used to be a time I, I would say ten years ago where like being a, like. Twitter was as crucial to being a comedian as TikTok is now. Right. Where there was a thing called Witstream, and yeah. I'm sure you were much more active on Twitter. I used to be. Twitter used to be amazing for jokes because it was only text. Right. And it was 140 characters. Right. So for years, for about two years, I was just writing like 10 jokes a day on it. And that's how you got to submit for The Tonight Show? Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, well, I, they saw the, one of the producers saw me at a gig at Nerdist Meltdown when right. I was around. And then he brought me to the show and I met Jay. Right. And Jay asked me to send in some jokes. And because I'd been writing for Twitter for so long, I'd, I'd become really sharp with, right. with short, sharp, mm-hmm. topical jokes. Right. And also because Twitter back then was like, people were happy to retweet. Because a retweet right. wasn't an, an endorsement back then. Right. People thought something was funny and they hit retweet. Yeah. So you could tell how good a joke was based on retweets and favorites. Right. And so you, you kind of like, you got that feedback that made your jokes better right because after a while you're like oh i got 20 retweets for this right i'm gonna do more jokes like that so i became sharp from twitter but now it just it doesn't work like that i made a joke about you know it was something about the queen passing away i think Mm -hmm. the joke was um queen has died at 96 Mm -hmm. taken in her prime right right right. not even that strong a joke but it was just a silly little gag that i was trying to respond to the news yeah and it was just non-stop <laughs> upset from people. Wow. And I'm like, well, then what's the point? Like, yeah. I'm not getting... 
Mm-hmm. I'm not getting any feedback in terms of like the strength of the joke here. Sure. I'm just upsetting people. Right. And it's just an outrage, you know, machine at yeah. the moment. Yeah. And it and it's usually just it's for like, yeah. It's not like the days of like Rob Delaney barely does stand up anymore. Right. And he was the guy. He was, he was the Twitter. Twitter comedian. Yeah. Megan Amram like mm. famously like went from, I think Yale right. or Harvard. Right. Uh, and then just like through her Twitter account, which was brilliant, mm. like became this award-winning TV writer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think it was a window, like a lot of these platforms. Right. You have a window of opportunity. Yeah. To use it to develop mm-hmm. and to showcase yourself. Right. So Twitter early on was like that. A lot right. of writers. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I'm one of them, and right. it sounds like she was one of them. Right. That got to move into. Right. Uh, an you know an establishment an established right. job and mm-hmm. TV writing from right. that and so Vine was like that there was yep. a window of time where pe- you know Viners kind of right. got to move into uh, you know the bigger platforms and right. then YouTube was mm-hmm. like that for right. a while and I think YouTube is probably still uh, got that mm-hmm. pathway yeah uh, into mainstream yeah so if you're big on YouTube you can kind of move into the mainstream right. And then uh, TikTok is that now, and yeah. it'll be something else oh, yeah. sooner or later. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Do you feel obligated to like put crowd work videos on TikTok, Simon? I did a couple yeah. recently, and I took them down. Yeah. Because it just didn't seem, yeah, it just didn't seem it, it, on brand for me and wasn't consistent because all my videos before were from a special. Right. And they were like, well, shot, and the sound is crisp. And it's like a bit. Yeah, and it's a bit, and I worked on it. But this is the thing. It's like it is a trade-off between expedience. Do you want things up fast mm-hmm. or do you want to create a piece of work that, that lasts longer? And yeah. I think the answer is if you want something to stand the test of time, mm-hmm. it's going to take a long time to develop. Right. Anything that is made quickly can disappear quickly. Oh, yeah. And so I think with those crowd work videos, mm-hmm. I mean, I just it's just not my stand-up style. No. And so I did a couple, and I put some up, and they did okay. But right. then I was just like, you know what? It doesn't, yeah, it, no. it, it doesn't sit right with me. So I'm right. going to find something else that, right. you know, I can craft. And right. I'm a writer anyway, so sure. I would rather sit and write mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. develop it, and then share it. So, right. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't. I damn, they get views, man. They get, <laughs> that's the very, get such good views. That's the weird thing is I they get such good, such good views, and yet I haven't heard a comedian that I've talked to that's like excited about them. They're like, oh, I got to do that, and they like right. they'll, they'll they'll just set up their iPhone or whatever, um, taping their set, just kind of like it's like you're just casting a lure out, and like I don't know, maybe we'll get something. Yeah, I wonder if it stifles the process of actually working towards a body of work like a I don't like know. A special. I don't, yeah, I don't think we know yet. We'll have to. We'll have to wait. Yeah, and see. because when I'm at those sort of clubs, like I don't want to film that. I don't want to share what I'm filming there. Yeah, this is like eighty people or a hundred people, or whatever, that right. are getting to see me work on the craft. And when it's ready, right. I'll film it properly with proper cameras, and then I'll share it, and right. then see where it goes. Right. Um, but. Yeah, there's definitely, like, the allure of, like, mm-hmm. oh, damn, they're getting lots of views, they're selling tickets. Right. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think, ultimately, like, I am satisfied mm-hmm. with, 
Like, I, I make enough money to go, like, okay, I can live. I don't need to be super crazy rich. I right. can live. Let me now just work on stuff that I'm proud of working right, on. Right, right, right. Right? And, and it is tricky because there's, like, your bread and butter, which yeah. may be, you know, crowd work videos, mm. or it may be clubs, yeah, right. or it may be uh, YouTube, or whatever mm. it is. But you need something that is within the world of comedy right that you can make a consistent living off mm-hmm. and then you have your love projects yeah, yeah. your passion projects that right. you're like all right i really want to make mm-hmm. like a a daily show sure. or i really want to make a mm-hmm. i want to do comedy films i want right. to direct things so right. you kind of got to go have i got the balance right of i spend part of my time making my bread right. and part of my time mm-hmm making you know the thing that i want to really share with the world and what is that for you and is that something that would be just focused in australia or here in the states or both look i've always wanted to be a um talk show or game show host okay like i really love chris hardwick's career sure at midnight was like oh my god i wanted Mm -hmm. to do it so bad right like i badgered them so Mm -hmm. i'm like please put me on the show but to be honest i want to host a show like that or like whose line is it anyway or whatever and at least now i can we're talking about like credibility gigs like prestige gigs yeah uh i'm i'm gonna put together a a a youtube Mm -hmm. show that's Mm -hmm. a a quiz show uh that's kind of like whose line is it anyway right uh and I, can, I think I can get decent people on it now because I've done Fallon and because I've right. got a bit of credibility. Right. I think I'll get a lot more yeses now right. uh, and higher tier comics and talent because right. I'm credible. They're like, all right, we trust him. He's, you know, he's done some TV. Right. He's done Netflix. He's done a few things. Right. All right, we trust this guy. We'll do it. Where I think if you're like just starting out, it's a lot harder to, to get that swell of people around right. you to build a crew right. to have people do favors and things like that mm-hmm. so having industry credibility right. gives you resources to create stuff sure so for me i i, I want to host things and so the credibility I, think, I get through stand-up allows me to do that absolutely i think now is kind of a good time if you're a comedian aiming to be a game show host yeah it seems like a lot of them are doing it yeah uh, Adam Conover, right? Um, uh, well, she's not like a performing comedian, but mm. like Jamila Jamil, yeah, like got to host a, a very weird game show, right? Um, There's also like other online networks that are that are coming out, like um, Dropout TV used to be mm-hmm. College Humor, right? And those are more their sketch and improv, sure, uh, people, but mm. like. Yeah, they're just creating their own shows. They're like, we're just going to make it. We'll create our own platform and we'll make enough to do it. So, uh, yeah, I really admire them. Mm -hmm. And I I see the model of like, yeah, just prove you can do this thing. And if a network wants to pick you up, then great. You can be a little more hands off. Right. Well, it's. I mean, that is the process. But it. I mean, a lot. You're still met with a lot of no's. Of course. Yeah. 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 Of course. I mean, you. Well, what do you do? Do you just like. Particularly in Australia, right, mm-hmm. to give you a little insight to the Australian scene, is like we've got a really thin industry in terms sure, yeah. of the opportunities. We've only got a, a handful of networks with right. any money, and even them don't have money. Yeah. <laughs> like, that, that's all they'll say. They're like, we don't have the money for that. Well, they don't have the money for risks. Right. They have the money for the, – the main networks have the money for uh, reality TV shows. They'll right. buy, like, The Voice. Sure. And Australia's Got Talent and – 
all that oh, mass singer right that's where they put their money because that's kind of what gets that's family friendly that's what right. gets viewed but they won't take a risk on a new talk show format right or a game show format right. all that sort of thing and uh, and if they do it doesn't last very long because right ratings are already super hard to get yeah that's why what like rose manifeo had to go to hbo and right. other, yeah but but uh, yeah but all these at least you've got a lot of different tiers of mm-hmm. uh, and different avenues here right. we're like all right i'm gonna try with the big network sorry mm-hmm. nbc doesn't want it cbs doesn't want it hbo right. doesn't want it right. all right i've got a cable does comedy right. central want it uh does you know adult swim want it right oh okay they don't want it then you go to like more of the you know the streaming things all right, right. maybe paramount plus will take it maybe right, netflix right. will take it and then you go down another level and you go all right well then there's these other platforms that'll take things i'll right. do a podcast on a podcast network and right. youtube show like notice was a good example of like mm-hmm. chris hardwick just went oh i'll just create my own network of shows right and and that sort of thing like i think that at least you have a lot more avenues and right. and it feels tougher um, in somewhere like Australia. It's like, well, if you don't get on like our, uh, you know, ABC, mm-hmm. which is kind of mm-hmm. PBS here. Right. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. we got to go? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, we got to go. Yeah, we got to uh, go. Anyway, I don't think my point was important enough <laughs> to finish. <laughs> it's t- but, comedy but, stuff, yeah. But, but it, yeah, well, it's just the... The industry is smaller in Australia. Right. So I think it's like create your own stuff. Right. And if you're lucky, someone else will pay you to do it. All right. Great. That's the, me- that's the message. That's, that's the, the message. take home. Just make cool oh, shit yeah. with cool people. And, if, and you may win the lottery and get a network. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining uh, me on the Comedy Bureau for Report. Where can people find you? Is there anything else you'd like to promote? Oh, yeah. So I'm a Dynasty typewriter yeah. here in L.A. on November 1st. Yeah. And I don't know if I can sell it, so let's. With this, surely there's a comedy community on. Hit me up if you want free tickets. Yeah, right, right, right. Let's come fill this thing out. But yeah. uh, I'm excited to do that show because that feels awesome. like the the cool spot to be. And oh, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah that's the big show that I, I want to plug. And then I'm in Denver uh-huh. uh, after that, and right. uh, I think I'll be on the road next year. Awesome. Uh, where can people find you online? SimonTaylorFunnyBoy.com. Great handle. Great Thank handle. you so much. I'm Jake Kroger. I created the Comedy Bureau. You can find the Comedy Bureau at thecomedybureau.com, at the Comedy Bureau across socials. There's so many great causes to support this time, so I'd ask if you'd please support those. But if you have money or generosity left over, please support the Comedy Bureau because I like to keep it running. Uh, do you have anything to say as we sign off here? I'll support you. I'll throw some some shekels your oh, way. Oh, thank you very much. Very Thank you very kindly. Hey, I'm doing it. I'm yeah. leading the way. Yeah, lead the way. Um comedy is very much happening please go support it and as the great Brody Stevens would say um, enjoy it the comedy bureau field report is recorded produced and edited by Jake Kroger music by Brian Guineo artwork by Andrew Delman and KT and part of the Believe Podcast family
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.